Uh, Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles? Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, so we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible on you this morning, we have people who love to get a Bible in your hands. If you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible or, or you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these. If you don't own one, take one of these as our gift to you. So you have a copy of God's Word, but, but grab a copy of God's Word or, or a device with, with God's Word on it, whatever, and go to Romans chapter 8. We'll be starting in verse 14. <clears throat> As you're turning there, and John mentioned this, this morning we are going to be, um, it's, it's our morning where we're putting our pledges forward to say, this is what I believe the Lord's called me. I prayed and fasted throughout the summer. This is the, the thing that I believe God's called me to, and I want to commit to this as a family, as a single person, as, as, as a person in this church, and I want to commit to, to my pledge for this year. And you, The pledge card, it looks like this. I, we handed them out last week. If you don't have one because you missed last week, grab one at the end of the service. Here's the idea of a pledge card. It's where we say, this is what, as I prayed through, this is what I believe God has called me to, to say, this is what, over the next few years, this is what I believe God's called me to give. And the top one is just the, hey, the remainder of 2018, I think that, that we can do this. And it might be a one-time thing, or maybe you're going you're gonna to save up from now until the end of the year, and, and that'll be the number you'd put in there. And then the rest of it, the next couple of years, where you go, this is what I believe God's called me to. And whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, annually, however that, however that works for you, or maybe it's just a, a one-time gift, you know, I think we can do this, that you'd put that in there. And we're going to, at the end of the service, as an act of worship, because really this is just faith, right? This, this isn't cash we're putting in. This is us going, we trust the Lord's going to bless in this way. And as an act of worship, we're, we're going to really just take up the offering again, but really we're taking up our pledges again, and the ushers will take those up for you. And again, if you don't have it, you forgot yours, or, or you don't have one, grab another on the way out. It's a way for us as a church family to go, I believe this is what the Lord's going to do this year. I believe this is where he's moving us. Now, a couple of people asked me this, and I really want to speak to this. They say, hey, hey, Kai, like, I'm on a fixed income. I mean, that's a large group of our people who, who call Harvest home. And, and that, this is hard for me because, I mean, I know what my, and it's, it's not like I'm going to have a windfall. What do I do in that? Here's what I, and I said this to, to someone just this morning. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you know, hey, I just know what I got. I got nothing in the bank and I live paycheck to paycheck. I'm on a fixed income. This is what I do. Take the pledge card anyway and you just write on that thing. Man, I pledge to pray. I pledge to pray. And if God blesses me, man, I'll give. But right now, I'm because it's not about, you've heard me say this over and over again, it's not about the cash. It's about our hearts before the Lord. And are we gonna call out to him and say, God, would you do far more? Would you do far more this season? In fact, in fact this morning, I wanna end off this series talking about that very thing, talking about prayer. For so many Christians, we can talk a lot about prayer, but, but I don't know about you, how, how often do you struggle to get to the, the, really the, the depth of what prayer is? D.A. Carson, he said this, he said, if you really want to embarrass a Christian, ask them to describe their private prayer time yesterday. Like We like to talk about a lot of Christian stuff. Ask me about my generosity. Ask me my favorite verse in the Bible. But, but if you really want to press in on someone where you say to them, hey, tell me about your time with the Lord, that deep, intimate time with the Lord you had yesterday. And it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I mean we, we kind of imagine that our, our prayer is going to be some, this amazing, mystical, intimate time with the Lord. And then you start to pray and you close your eyes and 20 minutes goes by and all of a sudden you're, you're thinking of the, the new season of This Is Us coming up. You're like, how did I get here? Right? 
You're not even sure how you got there. Like, wait a minute, I think I started praying about my kids and then I remembered that, that oh, I gotta find a babysitter for tonight because we're going out tonight. Oh, we'll have to grab dinner really quick then. Man, we've had a lot of quick dinners lately. We grab cereal a lot or pick a pizza up. Man, I remember my mom, she used to make great meals and how did she, when she was busy, she would use a crock pot to make those, crock pot, this is us. Hey, new season's coming, right? And you start thinking about all that, right? Sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. The crock pot is key in that show, all right? And what happens though, you try to pray and you find, you find yourself where your mind has got to this place. Like, man, what happened over these last 20 minutes? This was not the sweet hour of prayer that I expected. And many of us, listen, many of us struggle to pray. We find it hard to have that deep, meaningful time of prayer. And I've got such a burden for this for us as a church. A couple reasons is this. One, because I want us to have that kind of relationship that Jesus promises us that we can have with God our Father. To have that kind of intimate, deep connection with our God. Secondly, I've got a burden for this as we enter into this new season as a church. I mean, our small groups just kicked off last week. We have a new locations launching in the, in the new year. We have this building campaign with the, the financial needs uh, of that. We're calling out to God to do far more than, than we ever could expect him to do. We're saying, God, we want you to do more than that. And, and listen, according to God's word, all the blessings of God, everything he pours out on us, those things we're calling out for him to do far more, they come through prayer. Prayer's the conduit, not, not a conduit. Prayer is the conduit by which God's power comes into our lives, comes into our families, comes into our communities, into our church. If you cut yourself off from prayer, you cut yourself off from that power. Everything good that God does in our lives, he does through prayer. In fact, one of my favorite quotes about prayers by a a guy named Samuel Chadwick, he said this. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But listen, he trembles when we pray. pray turns, prayer turns ordinary mortals into men and women of power. Prayer brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. I mean, there's so much we could do as we try to unpack what prayer is as we move forward. We wanna move forward in this new season as a church, moving forward in more power. And if we want more power, God, we need more prayer. And, and I just wanna unpack one verse for us this morning, really. And in that one verse, we're going to see a couple of, of, of important pieces, important parts of, of what make up the foundation of prayer. And if we grab a hold of these truths from God's word, I'm telling you, prayer will become as natural as breathing to us. If we grab a hold of these foundational truths of God's word about prayer, no one's going to need to force you to pray. No one's going to need to try to convince you to pray more or pressure you to pray. If we grab a hold of these truths, man, I, I couldn't stop you from praying. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans 8, starting at verse 14. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are 
children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here's the first key we need to remember as we talk about prayer this morning. It's this, we pray to our heavenly father. We pray to our heavenly father. I mean, this is, it's, it's pretty incredible to hear this, that we can actually say, Abba, Father. That word Abba, it's the Aramaic word for, for Dada. Some would say it's Daddy. It's actually not Daddy. It's something even more, more primitive than that, even more small than that, that we, we would call him Abba, Dada. It's this, this little kid way of calling out to their father, this, this term of closeness. Only, only really young kids would use the term Dada. I mean, even if you start to hit eight and nine years old, you don't use that anymore. You start saying daddy or dad, right? But when you're really little, when you're really little, it's, it's this way of looking at God for who he is and looking at ourselves for who we are. That we're desperate for him. That we look to him, God, only you can take care of this. Only you can do this. God, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless on my own. Because here's, here's the secret to prayer. The secret to a consistent prayer life, it's not discipline. Listen, it's desperation. The secret to a consistent prayer life isn't more discipline, it's more desperation. Knowing, God, you're my dada, you're my father, you're my daddy. Without you, I have nothing. Because how you see God will determine how you go to God. I mean, think about all the ways that you, you can think about who God is, all the ways we can view God. So sometimes you view God as a business partner. And in our prayer life, it's not so much about relationship. It's about, hey, God, what can you do for me? So it's this transactional kind of relationship. And, and we pray when we need something. And we make promises, God, if I do this, will you do this? Or, or God, if you do this, I promise I'll do this. I'll go to church more. I won't sin anymore. I'll do these things. God, if you just follow through on this. And, and we treat him like a business partner. And what happens is we don't really share our deep heart with him. We're not vulnerable with him in that. And we pray a lot when we need a lot, but when those needs start to go away or when God doesn't answer according to what we want him to do, our prayers stop. Maybe you find yourself seeing God as a business partner. Maybe you see God as an old friend. He's that old friend you used to talk to a lot, you used to pray to him a lot, you used to have this vibrant prayer life, but then, then life got busy. Things got, started to come in. There were, there were different things, different relationships, different passions, different responsibilities, and, and that friendship now has faded. And now you just kind of have that religious small talk with God. I don't really have time. And you say all the right things. God, God, glorify your name, but you don't really mean it. You say, God, forgive me of my sins, but you, but you can't think of any. And God becomes that friend where you say, hey, we should do lunch sometime, but you never do lunch. And God, I'll, I'll, I'll go all in and, and, and I'll pray about, about things once, once life slows down a bit. Once it gets a little crazy, then I'll be serious about this, this prayer with you and I. Sometimes, sometimes we see God as this unavoid, unavoidable family member. You know, you know that unavoidable family member? You, you see them at, at family get-togethers and, and you're like, man, I, I, I gotta be with them, but I, hopefully I'm always with other people when I'm with, with this person, right? You know that person? You're like, I don't wanna be alone in the living room with just me and them because I have nothing to say to them and I don't know what I'm gonna say. So, so as long as we're in a group, so as long as I'm at church, 
As long as I'm in this big service, I'm fine. But, but as soon as I get one-on-one with God, then all that awkwardness, all that pain, all that anger, all that hurt, all that abandonment that you felt with him comes rushing in. And it's not like you're going to leave God, but you're going to keep him at a distance. And your prayers become more and more superficial because you don't see him as a gracious and good father. Maybe sometimes you see God as this way. You see God as the, the cosmic policeman. And he's just, he's just watching out to see when you're going to fail. And then, then he, he shows up, you go to him in prayer, and he's got, he's got like the, the tapes from the traffic cam. Like he's like, no, you're busted. And you, you negotiate with God. You, tr- you try to get him to reduce your sentence, right? Listen, if a police officer lets me off from a ticket, I'm pretty appreciative of it. Like, I, I like that he's done that, but I, I never love the policeman like I love my father when he does that, right? The way that Scripture overwhelmingly describes God, the way that Jesus calls us to pray to God. What what Paul is laying out for us here in Romans chapter eight is that we need to see God as our father. Listen, if you're a parent, the way you feel about your kids is supposed to resemble however feeble, however, however small of a slice and broken we are as parents. But the way that you see your kids, that's the way God feels about you. God relates to you. And Paul's saying here, when you become a Christian, when, when the Spirit comes in, right? you're not a Christian without the Spirit, right? When, when you give your life to Christ and the Spirit comes in, how do you know you have the Spirit in you? How do you know you're a Christian? Well, the first thing that happens when the Spirit invades your life is that there's this, this new kind of language you have to God that you didn't have before the Spirit. Because w- without being a Christian, you can still ask God for things. Without being a Christian, you can still have this this language of of religion, of information. Without the Spirit, you you can see God when you have needs, but when the needs are gone, you don't really pursue him. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, something new happens. There's this, this new language that comes. There's a new kind of prayer. There's this desire for God himself. There's this thing where it says here, the Spirit has us cry out, Abba, Father, like a child reaching out for his dad, saying, Dada. And let's not, let's not jump past this too quick. I mean, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this phrase before, God's our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. You've, you've heard the Lord's Prayer before. And I think we can, we can kind of move past this idea quickly. Listen, it's the most astounding and unique of all of Christian revelation that God, the creator of the universe, that God is our Father. Now, Jesus, he was the first one to use this term, Abba, talking to God the Father. And everyone who heard him when Jesus talked about Abba, when Jesus said that, whether you were a a pagan Roman who didn't care at all about about Christ or whether you were a Bible-believing Jew, both of them would have been offended and astounded by him saying this. Listen, if you're not shocked by Jesus saying you can call God the creator, holy God of the universe, if you're not shocked by Jesus saying just call him Dada, If you're not shocked by it, you're not going to be transformed by it. If it doesn't astonish you, it's not going to change you. If you're not dumbfounded, if you don't don't see the craziness of, wait a minute, wait a minute, the holy, awesome creator of the universe, I call him Father. 
Now, why were people who heard Jesus first use it, why would they be shocked that he would say, you call him Abba, you call him Dada? Now, partly, yeah, they're shocked because you're talking about the creator of the universe. But here's the other thing. By calling him Dada, you're assuming something. You're assuming that you're his child. Look at verse 17 of Romans 8, not just his child. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. You have to understand something. When Paul says that as Christians, you're sons of God, Paul's not being chauvinistic by just using the word sons here. He's actually exploding this unbelievable idea that, that both men and women, he's saying this, that even in this culture where it was only the firstborn son that would receive the most inheritance, it was only sons who were blessed by their father. Paul's saying, forget that. In Christ, you're all sons. You have the spirit of God. If you're a Christ follower, if you've given your life to Christ, if you understood that Jesus, you paid the debt that I could never pay. And so I'm putting all my hope in you. I'm not pursuing anything else for my life. I'm, I'm laying it all down as a broken sinner saying, I need you and you alone, Christ. Your death on the cross in my place, your resurrection three days later to conquer sin and death, that's my hope. That's what I put my trust in. In that moment, male or female, you're both heirs like you were firstborn sons. It's crazy. I mean, it should humble us. It should, it should draw us closer into this, I cannot believe that's how God sees me. I mean, think about how, how that relationship changes everything. I mean, if you're working for a man you're just his employee, and, and, and he gives you an income, right? That, that's what happens. You work, you get an income. But if that man's your father, then actually, even if you're working for him, you're like, this is all mine one day anyway. I, I get it all. All that wealth is coming to you. To you. So, so, so when you come to God, the, the creator of the universe, and you call him dad, it's incredible. I mean, I mean if, if you're listening to Jesus say that, or you're listening now to Paul saying, hey, you call him Father, you call him Abba, you could be thinking, really, really? Really, Paul, what, what makes you think you're so great? What makes you think you're so perfect that you could say, Abba, Father? What makes you think you're so holy? What, what gives you the right to assume that you're an heir of God, that you have that kind of relationship with the God of the universe? I mean, think about it. If Jesus says, Abba, Father, we're like, yeah, I get that. Jesus can say that. He lived a perfect, holy life. He gave his life sacrificially. Jesus deserves to call God the Father, Abba. But listen to what Paul's saying here in Romans 8. He's saying if you're a Christian, God treats you as if you were everything Jesus was. God treats you as if you'd lived Jesus' life. God treats you, this is so amazing, treats you like you're an heir to the king. It, it means you're in. It means you're a part of the family. It means that God treats you, that God regards you, that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God honors you and adores you as if you'd done everything Christ had done. As if you were everything Christ was. Because only Jesus has the actual right to call God Abba Father. But listen, the moment you become a Christ follower, you have that same right. It, it's, it's the difference between the gospel and religion, 
Religion says you gotta work your way to this. You gotta live a way where God becomes your debtor, where where you've lived such a good life that, that God has to bless you, but the gospel comes in and says, no, Jesus lived the perfect life that you could never live. And then he died the death that we all should have died so that we simply say, Father, accept me because of what Jesus has done. When we simply say, adopt me into your family, at that moment, you receive the spirit of sonship. At that moment, you're adopted into the family of God. And listen, that changes everything for us. As a child, you have a different relationship with your father than anybody else would have. Now I was thinking about this. I, I like Tony Clement a lot. As an MP, he's a great MP. He, he has the power and authority as our representative, as our member of parliament, right? And, 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 and he's pretty available. He'll take a phone call. You can grab coffee with him. You can talk about the things you need. But, but the way that I would approach Tony is very different than I would let my, my kids approach me. My kids can come into my room at 2 a.m. and ask me for whatever they want, and it's okay. You can't go and wake Tony up at 2 a.m. Right? One, it's just creepy if you sneak into his home. Can I have a glass of water, Tony? Right? I think it's illegal too. It's called break and enter, I believe, right? But to see God as your father, you have a different relationship. You come as one without any hope in yourself. You can't take care of your needs on your own and you recognize that. But you come with this faith and this trust that you can go with whatever you want to go with. You can go whenever you want to go and boldly into the throne room of God. The fact that he's your Abba changes everything. Maybe like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, but what about sin? What about when I'm not really, really living life well? What, if, what about when I, I have sin in my life? I mean, I can't just come to me. I know he's my father, but, but does, it, does it change that? Yeah, with him as your father, it, it changes even that. When my daughters are, are obeying me, when they're, when they're doing really well, I mean, I just, I just love them to death. I love being their dad. But when they disobey me, they don't stop being my daughters. In fact, in those moments, I, I, I feel a, a deeper love and responsibility for them when they're disobeying. I would say this, and if you're a parent, you get this. As a dad, you never feel your undying loyalty to your kids as much as you do when they're actually living in disobedience. And your undying love grows for them as you reach out to them, as you plead for them. If my kids were just my employees, I'd have fired them a long time ago, right? <laughs> but because they're my kids, they're never gonna fall out of the family. When you go into prayer, you go in knowing that you're a child of God. So there's this, this deeper language of, of intimacy that you don't have otherwise. I mean, if you, if you don't go to your heavenly father because you have sin in your life, if you start to, to drift away and you're, you start to have stuff in your life that you know shouldn't be there and, and so you start to pull out and you, and, and you stop praying. You say, well, I can't go before God. And I can't see him with this in my life. I, I don't deserve to go before him. And, and what do we do? We stop praying. We, we drift from church. We, we drift from our small group. We start to, start to drift from community. Listen, it shows you don't understand the gospel. In that moment where you start avoiding God, when you start avoiding Christian community, you're not living like a bad Christian. You're actually living like you're not a Christian. You're living like you're not a child of God. 
You're you're forgetting the, the whole basis of your relationship. Listen, listen, he's your father and he sees you through Christ's sacrifice. So what happens in your weakness, when you see him in that way, you don't shrink back from him. In fact, your relationship grows in him. And in in your weakness, when you recognize he's my dada, he's my Abba father, you go in repentance saying, here's where I've messed up. And you experience his grace. You experience the joy of repentance. Again, the, the secret to a consistent prayer life isn't more discipline, it's more desperation. I think it's why Jesus starts out his prayer this way, where he says, hey, when you pray, pray our Father. He says, understand your position first. Understand the relationship you have with God first. Before you get to our daily bread, before you get to forgive us our sins, before you get to any of that, let the glory of the gospel that says who you are in Christ, that you're his child, let that truth, let that gospel truth overwhelm you. God's my Father. I mean, think about it this morning. If, if you had one word to describe God, what, what would it be? Maybe it was awesome or, or glorious or holy. Those are all good words to describe God. But Jesus says, hey, hey, start here, our Father. He's your Abba. One thing before we move off this point of, of we pray to God as our Father, I, I do know that this idea of God as Father, it can hinder some people here in this room. Some of you did not have a great dad. And because and we're created by God to have this, this desire in us for our heavenly father and, and our earthly fathers, we're supposed to model that for us as, as a way to teach us about who God is. And, and when our relationship with our earthly father is, is his hindered, when it goes bad, when, when your father rules you more like Satan than God, when, when he, he abuses or is selfish or abandons you, that makes this difficult. For some, it makes, us, makes it even difficult to even believe in God. But listen, here, here's what I want you to understand. If you've had a father like that, and, and you think, man, man, because of that, I, I can't go to God. Because of that, I have anger towards God. I have fear of God. I have hatred towards God. You need to understand something. You're not fearful of God. You're not distrusting of God. What you actually are fearful of, what you're actually wounded by is not God, but Satan. Because in that moment, your dad was not representing God the Father. God created us to have this relationship with him as child and father. If you're a dad here this morning, this should shake us up a little bit. I mean, we're never going to love and live and, and care for and be holy like God is in the same way. But, but listen, that's our call as dads, that our kids look at us as fathers and say, is this what God's like? Here's our second point this morning. When life's really hard, when it's, when it's tough to go to God in prayer, when things are difficult, we remember this, we pray out of desperation. We pray to God as our Father, we also, we pray out of desperation. I think so often we have this idea that prayer is like a vending machine. I just go, I put my good works in, I say what I wanna have, I make my order, and then God, you just give it to me. 
And if, I, if I'm living that out, then man, life is going to be good and life is going to be easy. God's never gonna let anything bad come into my life. I, I just say a prayer and it's all gonna be good. I want you to know that the Christian teaching, biblical teaching on prayer is way more realistic than that. Because Paul here doesn't just say, we say, Abba, Father. Look what it says in verse 15. To say, say, Abba, Father. It says, we, we cry, Abba, Father. That, that word cry, it's, a, it's a, a deep emotional call. That, that word cry, whenever it's used in scripture, whenever that word is used, it's always a moment of distress. It's the exact same word that was used when Peter was walking on the water and then he, he got distracted and wasn't looking towards Jesus and he began to sink. It says, he cried out, Lord, save me. It didn't say, and Peter said, and Peter just mentioned Lord Jesus, if it's your will, would you in this moment reach out? And No, he cried out, Lord, save me. It's desperate. And, and, and here, what's, what's Paul saying? We, we cry out. We cry out, Abba, Father. I love Romans 8 because it's so realistic about life. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says this, we know that the whole creation, everything on earth, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul's saying sin has so impacted our world that even creation groans. But then he goes on, look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. He says, those of us who know Christ, those who are Christians still groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as son, the redemption of our bodies, as we wait for, for the glorification of when Christ returns. And in, in this in-between time, we groan. We groan, why? why? Because my sin hurts me. Because others who sin against me hurt me. Be, because I live in a, in a broken, sinful world. Because of all that, what do we do? We groan. And all of us are going to groan. No matter what, if, if you've had a really great life so far, you're probably young. You will groan, all right? If you have not had a really nice life, you know what I'm talking about, that at some point you're going to groan. There will be pain. It's not a question of whether you will groan or, or whether you will have pain and hurt in your life. Everyone's gonna see bad things. Everyone here is gonna experience loss. Everyone here is going to experience sighing and groaning and pain. The question is, how do you groan? Look at verse 26. So with this groaning, as we, as we wait for what Christ is going to do, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit begins to take those pains and those groanings we have as we just cry out, Abba, Father. There will be days when we don't understand. There will be days when we don't know the end of the story and we can't figure it out. We can't see all the details. Listen, there will be fear. There will be pain. There will be hard times. And in those times, in those times of pain and confusion, that pain will always drive us somewhere. Pain in our life will always drive us somewhere. We can run from it. We, we can avoid it. We can numb it with other things. We can, we can go to people and hope they take care of the pain. We can, we can go to experience. We can try to control things more. 
We can run to our stuff. Pain will always drive us somewhere. We can let the Spirit begin to work in our hearts and in humility see who we are, that we're like children and desperately run to the only place where there's hope. And rather than complain, rather than retreat, rather than get angry, what would it look like for us in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the pain, to cry out to Abba, Father? To to remember who he is. To to experience who he is. To have a grasp again for who he is. So, So when we groan, we now groan as those who are adopted. Who are heirs to the king. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What's the purpose? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Saying this, what's the purpose of our pain? What's the purpose of the suffering? As we allow the spirit to draw our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, the purpose is we're being made more and more like Jesus. The cry out in verse 15 and the groan in verse 26, it's the same crying. It's the Spirit grabbing hold of our hearts as we go to the Father. The Spirit lets us in our weakness, in our brokenness, that we begin to understand more and more who God is, that you're my Father, that in the midst of this pain, who who is God? When life is hard, I mean, I love Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, it says this, It says, but now thus says the Lord. He says, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You've been adopted as his son, his daughter. He says this, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. He's saying, when you go through the worst things on earth, I'm right there beside you. I'm feeling those things you feel as you go through those. I mean, isn't that what a dad does? Isn't that what a father does? Right, when my kids hurt, man, I feel their hurt. You look at Jesus. Remember the story where Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. And it always, I couldn't figure out, man, man Jesus, it says Jesus wept over Lazarus' death. But, but Jesus knew that he was gonna raise him from the dead. Why would Jesus weep? You would think that he would come in and go, hey, everybody, stop crying. Check this out. Lazarus, come forth. Ba-ba, look it. Jesus knew the end. He knew what was going to happen, and yet what does he do? He still entered in because he still understands the pain of loss. He cries with them. He weeps with them as he walks through this difficult time. Listen, Jesus knows. He knows that for all of us, what glory awaits for us. And yet still, yet still, as we have a relationship with God as our Father, says in Isaiah that he walks with us in this pain. That when we hurt, he hurts. When we pray, that's who we're calling out to. I mean, Isaiah 43, it goes on and it says, because you're precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. He says this, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. He's saying, saying I give people in return for you. What's that mean? Here's a modern day example of that. It's like a sports team saying, we wanna trade for that player. And you're going to give up players for that player. And, and if that player is really good, like if they're an unbelievable, and you want them so desperately, you'll give up a ton of players for them. Depending how much you want them. 
Here's the thing. Here's what I'm trying to get at. You weren't born into God's family. We were born into sin, but we were adopted into God's family. We look at verse 15 of Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but receive the spirit of adoption. You're adopted. It cost God something for you. What did God give for you? Isaiah's pointed to, to another ransom, to the, that Christ would give his life, that the cross would be used, that he would, he would be tortured and beaten. Why? Because of the joy of what it meant that he was adopting you as his son and daughter. When something's really precious to you, you give up things to get it. How valuable must you be to God the Father? There are only a few things in my life that I would give up everything for, and one of those would be my kids. I mean, it's no wonder why John, when, the Apostle John, when he thought of who God was, he said in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called sons, heirs, kids of God. He goes, Behold, I can't believe it. I heard someone say it this way. If you've seen the, uh, the movies Taken, let, let, let me tell you the plot if you haven't seen the movies Taken before. There's Taken 1, 2, and 3. They all have the same plot. Liam Neeson, the dad, his daughter gets kidnapped. Every single one. I'm like, really, really? Maybe take care of your daughter. But anyway, anyway. <clears throat> the best quote from that movie, it was from the first one. And when the kidnapper calls Liam Neeson, you guys remember this? Have you seen the movie? And he says this, he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a long career. Skills that make me a nightmare to people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Now, as a dad, I'm like, yes, right? Like, that's it, right? Yeah, that's my God right there. Okay, Liam Neeson's not your God, right? But, but what I'm saying is that's the idea where you go, yeah, that's how God views me as his son, views you as his son or his daughter. I'll give up everything. I am coming. If something comes into your life to destroy you, God's saying, I'm taking that out. I'll give up anything to bring you home, to ransom you, I, to anything to adopt you. That's the God you pray to. That's the God. The God you call holy, the God you call awesome, the God you call savior, the God you call wonderful. Listen, what blows my heart up is that when you go to him in prayer, what keeps you in this place of desperate prayer is that he's also the God you call Abba Father. You call dad. The spirit doesn't take away the weakness and the brokenness, but the spirit in us as Christ followers draws our heart to the father so that we could cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, what a, what a realistic view of prayer that is, isn't it? It's not this consumeristic kind of prayer where I just get what I want and if I just say this, no, 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 no. No, we cry in the midst of trial, in the midst of the unknown. We cry, Abba, Father. Let me wrap this up for us this morning with just one last point as we, we pray to our Father. We pray desperately to our Father. Here, here's, here's, here's one last thing I want us to understand. We, we don't do this alone, though. We do this in community. Notice what it says in verse 15 again. It says, by the Spirit, we cry out. We. I love when Jesus was teaching us how to pray. He he didn't say, hey, when you pray, pray my father. 
He said, when you pray, pray our Father. It was this, this corporate model. Now we need to have a private time, just us and the Lord. We need to have that, that, that closet time, just, just me and Jesus. And, and, and that's a good indicator of my walk with the Lord. How am I doing when it's just, just me and the Lord? Do I have that sweet time with him? But until you can be in a place where you're in a community where you can say, our Father, you're never gonna get into that deep place of my Father. I think one of the best ways to deepen your, your walk, deepen that, that intimate individual prayer time is to deepen your prayer time in community. If, if you don't have that kind of relationship with somebody, if you don't have that kind of accountability with someone, if there isn't somebody who watches and knows where you're at with the Lord, if there isn't somebody who hasn't heard you groan or cry out to God, it might be one of the reasons why you're not growing in prayer. It's something we experience together. We cry out together. We hear the groans of our brothers and sisters and we join the spirit to say, let's take this to the Lord. As we look forward to what we're hoping God does in this next season, you know, I was thinking about our history as a church. I, mean, I got some photos here just to remind us as we're calling out for far more. I, mean, I remember back to the days in VK Greer. Remember that place? Smelled like junior high boys, right? Snakes painted on the wall. And God grew us. I mean, in that little tiny gym, we, we just grew to the point where people were standing against the back walls, where we didn't know cars were parked everywhere they could be parked. And, and here's the thing, we were calling out for God to do far more. But, but, but do you also remember it wasn't easy? Those are difficult days. You know, I was talking with staff just this week about remembering back to what God was doing in, in, at VK Greer in Port City. And I remember a time, it would have been five or six years ago, and and there was a season there where we're seeing God do amazing things. And there was a season where every single person in a position of leadership was attacked physically. I remember Dan was losing the feeling, worried that he'd be paralyzed as a nerve damage was happening. The doctor's like, we don't know what's gonna happen. You might lose the whole use of your arm. Adam Cormier, another one of our elders, or he had a, a, a something going on with his throat and his stomach where the doctor's like, we don't know, we don't get it. And if you don't get nutrients, you'll eventually just die from this. You'll wither away to nothing. There was just story after story of just, just physical attack. Like, listen, it wasn't easy, but what do we do? We joined together and we cried out to God together. And we saw God do far more. You know, I think about what God's been doing in, uh, in Perry Sound. I mean, just think of like, that, that was the early days of Perry Sound. It was just, just a few people gathered together and we're praying God do far more. And what happened there? We, we felt attack, um, spiritual attack, where a person in leadership needed to be removed from leadership because of unrepentant, awful sin. That, that nearly took out that church. It did take out some of us. I was just out for breakfast with, with Tim Beckett just this week and he was remembering back how difficult that was. He goes, man, that was part of the reason why I had to step away from ministry for a season. That was just too hard. Just the weight of the sin that was exposed, the weight of the work that needed to be done. It was, what do we do though? We just, we pray together. We cried out, Abba, Father. And God continues to grow. What's going on in Perry Sound? That God provides a building for what? For whatever we can gather together in finance. And God goes, yep, there you go. There's your building. The church continues to grow. More people finding hope in Christ. More people getting saved. More people coming out. God continues to move. And, and now, I mean, I think about where we are right now here in Bracebridge. I mean, think about where we've come from to where we are today. Here's the thing. As we move forward, as we are moving forward, it won't be easy. 
We've been talking about this over the last few weeks as we're calling out for God to do far more. Uh, many of us around this room feel we're going, yeah, but it's hard. And Satan is, is pressing in on us and it's difficult. And people are tired out. People are wore out. It's, it's a hard season for us as we're looking for God to do far more. What, what our finances now for the first time ever at a, at a low point as a church that we're looking forward to what, what we need done. And it's like, I don't know how this is gonna happen. God, how will you show up in this? And what do we do? Here's what I'm calling us to do again. We cry out, Abba, Father. We together get on our knees and say, God, we want you to do far more. Let's be children who stand in awe of God our Father. Stand in awe of what he's done over 10 years as a church. But as children, we want to say, Daddy, do it again. Daddy, do it again. God, God, as great as you've been over these last 10 years, we, we, we know we're only scratching the surface of what you want to accomplish in Muskoka and Perry Sound and around the world. God, God would, you, would you let us see more? More people saved. More reconciled marriages and relationships. More care for the poor. More love among us. More people sent out into the world where people have never heard the gospel. More of your glory. Dad, do it again. Do it again for your glory. So here's what I want us to do to end off this morning, to end off this series, to lead us into what we're praying for God to do far more this season. I want us to pray together as a family. I know we don't normally do this on a Sunday morning. This kind of sounds like a, a prayer night sort of thing, but here's what I want to do. I'm going to grab a microphone, and, and, and I'm just going to ask if, if, if you would pray. I'm, I'm going to come find you with a microphone so that you can pray. Actually, Eric's going to do that for me. Great. And here's what I want you to pray. If you want to pray, you just stand up and a microphone will be brought to you. And here's what I want you to pray. Would you pray a prayer of thankfulness? Let's thank God as our Father for what he's done. Pray prayers of thankfulness. Pray prayers of protection as we move forward because we know we're moving forward. We're going to be kicking down some doors that Satan does not want us kicking down. Pray prayers of protection. And pray this. Just cry out to God for more. And, and that we would pray together as the family of God. So if, if you feel led to pray, if you'd stand up where you are, I know it's gonna be awkward, but go ahead, just do that and a microphone will be brought to you and just stay standing. We'll, we'll get the microphone to, to as many people as we can as after a, a few, three, four, five, six people pray, we're gonna spend some time in worship and we're gonna spend some time worshiping with our pledge cards as well. So let's, uh, let's go to prayer right now. Lord, we declare as a family of uh, your children. Lord, it is beyond our comprehension that we are children of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, that we can call you dad. Lord, even in this moment, I pray that uh, by your spirit, you will make that truth live in our lives, Lord, that will change who we are day to day. And Lord, we, uh, we stand as a community also to declare thankfulness and gratitude to you that you have done above and beyond we can ask or imagine. And Lord, there are people here today that you have called by name and they now know you that they did not know you 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago. And Lord, you have used in weak vessels to bring honor and glory to yourself. And Lord, we just ask that you would do more, Lord for your honor and glory. So we say thank you, Lord. I declare again your generosity and grace and mercy in the Nicholson family. Lord, and I thank you. Lord, and I praise you. And we celebrate together that you are our God, you are our King. And Lord, we say thank you in Jesus' name.
Father, as we uh, bow before you, we, uh, we do call you Abba Father. Father, we hold on to you because there is no other rock that doesn't get washed away. And Father, we, we pray that you will instill in us the challenge to put on our armor, to stand in this battle with those that lead this church, to pray for them, to protect them. Lord, as this battle goes forth and we know that Satan is a roaring lion, he is ever there ready to tear us down. And yet, Lord, you are there building us up. And Father, as we walk forward into this new challenges that you have, these new ministries that you are pushing us towards, Father, we just pray that you will keep us focused on today. You tell us to stay focused on today, not worry about tomorrow. Today has enough challenges of its own. Father, we just know that you are doing great things and we lay everything at your feet. Father, just continue to bring us together, not just as separate families, but as one family, that we would be united and that we would be strong. And at the end, one day, we would all be together with you in glory, Lord. We pray for those lives of those that you are going to call, for those that are trapped right now, those that are struggling, and yet, Lord, you are pushing us to reach them, and yet you don't need us. We just thank you that you are even using us, that we can be part of what you are doing, Lord. Please keep us humble. In your name, Lord. Father God, we thank and praise you, not because of all of your bountiful blessings, that too, not because of what you've given us, but simply for who you are. You're our incomparable Heavenly Father. And you've opened the door to your throne that we would assuage the gates of heaven with both our prayers and our petitions. And Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to your word so often when we're not. Thank you for your th faithfulness to us when we're not faithful to you. And that you're always there and always available. And you have claimed in your word, call upon me. I will show you great and mighty things which you never imagined. Father, you've shown us glimpses of your glory. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And now with these new challenges ahead, Father, we pray that we might be more faithful in prayer, more faithful in your word, more faithful in giving. Father, we need to love you more. And so we ask that you move ahead, that we follow you, not run ahead of you, not lag behind, but we follow the captain of our faith. Help us to step out on the water, Lord, keeping our eyes fixed upon you and just anticipating great things from you in light of our obedience and 
Father, keep us faithful. Thank you for all you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do for the furtherance of your kingdom. And Lord, continue to work, not just in spite of us, as you've done so often in the past, but in sync with us, showing each and every day the loving mercies of our Heavenly Father. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, you have so many names, Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, God, all these names describe your might and your power, but Father God, you, you invite us to call you by the most intimate name, Abba, Dada. God, thank you that you have sacrificed so much. God, that you have given your son so that you can adopt me, and everyone else in this room, in this church, God, that you have called. God, I pray and thank you. God, I pray that as we go forward, that you would do far more, Father God, for the furtherance of your kingdom, not for our glory, God, but for yours. God, I pray that you would protect and strengthen those in leadership in this church. That, Father God, you would raise up more people to lead your church, Father God. That you would give us a heart to serve you and that we would not lose sight that it is for you and you alone, Father God. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to... Uh... I'm gonna call the ushers forward. We're gonna take up those pledge cards right now. If you've got them on you, you get them out now. Um, we're gonna take them up in a, in a, in a spirit of worship. Um, we're gonna take them up, why? Because we're calling out to one who's faithful. Because we're saying, Abba, Dad, take these small gifts. And Lord, I, I know you can do more with this than I could ever do on my own. And so, so in faith, not in faith in me and faith in what I'm giving, but God, I want to present this as an offering of worship because you're the faithful one. Listen, it's not just about these pledge cards, but that even right now, that our hearts would be drawn to say, God, you're faithful. You are my Abba Father. You're the one I cry out to. So, so as the ushers go right now to take them up, let, let's, let's sing together. <laughs> 